Psalm 91 and verse number 11. Let me add my voice to what Pastor Nate said earlier and just welcome everybody here today. It is a special joy to have you worshiping with us. If this is your first time or a return time to be with us, thank you for for being with us and, and just entering into this house of worship today. Those of you that are watching online, we welcome you. We're so thrilled that you're worshiping with us virtually. And we're, uh, we're excited for what God is doing virtually as well as in this house today. Amen. During our preaching time, we have a class for our youngest children from birth up till four years of age. So right out in the East Hallway, if you have children or grandchildren, you can slip out in that hallway right now. And you can give them to those wonderful uh, qualified workers that are going to teach your children. You can slip back here uh, into the sanctuary. Amen. Are you ready for the word of the Lord today? Do I have an amen corner today? Amen. amen. I'm so thrilled with what Pastor Nate told us about in Fort Smith. Isn't that a marvelous what God is doing? We rejoice in the, the, the hand of God, the blessing of the Lord upon our state. And you know what? I'm just one who believes that when God is doing something like that, to that degree, in one part of our state, we can expect that same kind of overshadowing that same kind of anointing to flow in every part of our state how many of you would just this week call down the blessing of God over central Arkansas you would say Lord what you've opened up in the spirit in the state of Arkansas call it down we pray it down we're praying the kingdom of God to come on the earth right here in Cabot right here in this part of the state and the Lord is doing tremendous things amen Benson we're so happy for you being water baptized in Jesus' name. Psalm 91 and verse number 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Now, I have reconciled in my mind. I'm about eight words into this sermon. But I've already reconciled in my mind. I'm probably not going to finish this sermon today. But I am preaching Wednesday night, so you'll need to come back for the end of this sermon Wednesday night. But there are times when I read the scripture, and there are words that just seem to glow on them. I don't mean that in some mystical way, but things I've seen maybe many times, but it never is quite like this time. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high. He's not another God. He's above every God. He's not just high and lifted up. He is the most high God. It's that most high God that said, I looked around and I saw no other. Now, honey, if I say that, that's one thing. But when the most high says that, I looked on this side and I didn't see an equal I looked on this side and I didn't see an equal. I looked above me and I didn't see anybody. He is the most high God. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to preach for just a few minutes on the secret place. Everybody say the secret place. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for reading from the word with me today. 
I feel it incumbent upon me as a preacher to help all of us, including myself, to properly, with God's help, navigate his word. And in order to understand the authorship of the very next psalm after Psalm 90, which is Psalm 91 that we've read, we have to dig a little bit. And according to Jewish tradition, if no author is mentioned, you go back to the last author mentioned. In this instance, in our text that we read from Psalm 91, there is not in my Bible any heading that says, here's who the author is, who, here's who wrote this psalm. And so we go back, we go back to the 90th psalm, and we find the 90th psalm is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It seems right when we begin to look at the 90th psalm in relation to the 91st psalm. When the 90th opens like this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What a statement from the man who had been given revelation from God as to how all of creation came to be. Have you ever thought about that? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit began to hover over that darkness. And the Lord said, and creative power was unleashed. Who wrote that? It was Moses that wrote that. But he did not write that as an eyewitness, but rather as one who had revelation from God. This is how it all began. And so it is this man Moses that declares it emphatically. God, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, I, I want to make sure we get this. So if you're waiting for the good part of the sermon, good morning. It's right now. Amen. He didn't have to create to become God. He created because he was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before there was light... There was God. Before there was mountain, there was God. Before there was a division of firmament, light, darkness, water, earth, before any of that, Moses said, before any of that, you are God. God dwells in the ever-present tense. He is. Oh, I feel like preaching today. He is. 
It's not a matter of he was at one time or he shall be. God is in the ever-present tense. That means whenever I need him to be what he is, he is. He doesn't have to become. He doesn't have to drum it up. He doesn't have to practice for a while. But he is. He has always been a creator. He has always been a miracle-working God. He is God. I want to say it over your miracle need today. He's God. I want to say it over your family. He's God. I want to say it over your difficulty. He's God. I want to say it over your sick body. He's God. He is God. It's what Moses said. It's what we declare today. And so it just seems right that with Moses in Psalm 90 declaring that the Lord has been our dwelling place, that he continues in the very next psalm. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I have to tell you, whenever I read things like the secret place, that is a phrase that really gets my imagination going. It gets my curiosity going. What if I was to say today to this great congregation, there is a room in this church that hardly anybody knows about. There is a secret room in this church. See, now some of y'all were sleeping 10 seconds ago but you are wide awake right now. Why? Because when I use the word secret, when I use the word secret, it gets our attention. Now, if you want to know if there really is a secret room in this building that nobody knows about, meet me at the front door after church today, and I will show you the way more clearly. The secret place. It's always got my imagination. When my brother and I were just children, we would go visit my aunt and my uncle who lived in the St. Louis area, and we would play hide-and-seek. And, and that's always uh, been an, a cool game to me when I was a kid. And so uh, I found a secret place in my aunt and uncle's house. It was in a closet. And I'm given to small, confined places, even more so when I was a kid. And they had the coolest place in their room because I could crawl in one closet. You ready for this? Hang on. And it connected to another closet. So you could, it's almost like the scripture, you could go in one way and come out the other way. And I would go in one closet and I would begin to snake my way through the closet, through all of the clothes that are hanging up. And I found this little area and I would not tell my brother about it. I would not tell him. I would just holler at him from inside of the secret place. And he would open the door and look around and he couldn't. It was just the most awesome thing. It captivates our thinking. And yet Moses said there is a place that's a secret place in God. It's in this secret place that Moses said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely 
He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, the hunter, and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Now, I have prayed that verse many times in my life, but just recently I said, Lord, I need to know what a buckler is. I pray it, I claim it, I declare it. You are my shield and my buckler. You know what a shield is? Now, this is pretty obvious. A shield is a large protective element against the long-range arsenal of the enemy. But a buckler is a small shield that was strapped to the arm of the warrior so that when they got in close hand-to-hand combat, they had protection in that environment as well. And here's what Moses said, Lord, your truth is going to be the shield that keeps me safe from the long-range arsenal of hell. But your truth is also going to be the shield upon my arm when I am in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. Oh, I'm so thankful that either way we win when we have the truth. Either way we are protected when we have the truth. Moses said, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Here's why, Moses said, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Oh, I feel like there's somebody in this house today that would get up underneath the dwelling of the Lord, would get up underneath a secret place of the Lord, and though the enemy comes in hot and heavy, you are guided and you are protected and you are kept from the battle. There is something about the secret place. There's something about a secret place of prayer. There's something about a secret place of intercession when everything's swirling around us and we tuck ourselves into the presence of God and say, Lord, nourish me right now. Cleanse me right now. Walk with me right now. Speak to me right now. There's something about a secret place with God. In fact, I'm going to tell you, if we don't have a secret place, we don't have much of a walk with God. But how many know what it is when you get in the secret place? You can make it a few more days. When you get in a secret place, woo! You can make it when everything's swirling around you. When you get in a secret place with God, it doesn't matter what the enemy brings. I am protected, and I am kept, and I am guided, and and the enemy has to back up. Why? Because I'm sheltered in his presence. I'm sheltered in a secret place of prayer. I have interaction with the one true living God. The Most High is on my direct line. There's something about the secret place. Now, you and I must understand in studying the scriptures that especially when we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures, we're not very ever far away from Jewish custom and tradition. 
The reason is, is because God's original people were the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And in their language, the word for secret place is the word sather. It means a hiding place or a shelter. Now, typically, the temple in Jerusalem, when we look at Scripture, was a hiding or a secret place in the land of Israel. However, the Old Testament uses this phrase beyond the meaning of just a physical shelter or a physical edifice. Now, we may look at the word sather in the Hebrew or shelter in our English language, and we would be tempted to just think of a safe room or a safe physical place. But the Old Testament clearly uses the secret place symbolically to refer to the very presence of God himself. The psalmist declared it like this in the 31st Psalm, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Again, the psalmist goes on in Psalm 119, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. So the, the people of Israel, the Israelites, the Hebrews knew Sather beyond the idea of a physical temple and they knew God himself as their refuge and as their hiding place. We open up to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews. And we see in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10 and verse number 1, where the Hebrew writer says, The law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So there is a limit to what could be accomplished through Old Testament law. Verse number 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It suffices for a time, but then there is an expiration date. Verse 12, But this man, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering... I want you to consider the significance of this verse right here. For many, 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 many years... Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice had been made. And all it could do was satiate sin's desire for just a period of time. But then one man came. One offering was made at Calvary. And he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He is our hiding place. He is our secret place. Jesus is our refuge today. Jesus is our hiding place today. I want to declare it boldly to every person in this room because I do not know exactly what it is that brings you here today. Perhaps I am preaching to people with something in your life that just has not been dealt with yet. Can I tell you something? I don't offer you a quick fix. I don't offer you some sort of program that's slick and glossy. I am standing behind this pulpit today preaching one man 
who can change your life. I am just preaching one name that can be put over you in baptism like Benson had that can change your life forever. I am preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is our refuge. He is our secret place. He is our hiding place. He is my secret place. It is in the Old Testament that God told his children, I'm going to have you construct a place where I will be worshipped, where you will be safe, and it will be a place of refuge for you. It will be a place of sacrifice. It will not be for every heathen in the world. It is for you as my people. You're going to be on a long journey from Egypt to Canaan. But while you are on that journey, I want you to know that I'm not only going to go before you as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, but I'm going to have you construct a place that when you go into that place, and when the people, the leaders of your tribes go into that place, they will find shelter and they will find strength and it will be a place of sacrifice. I'm going to have you construct it. It's going to be very plain and normal looking on the outside. But when you get on the inside of that tabernacle, there's going to be strong symbolic inference to every piece of furniture, every action that is undertaken in that place. Why? Because I love you enough to have you build a place where my spirit dwells. See, God has always loved his people enough to let us construct a place where his spirit can dwell. Listen to me. We have this beautiful church. I don't know how many of you were here at the wedding yesterday. If you don't believe in transformations, then you weren't at the wedding yesterday. It was a beautiful wedding of Brother Sam and Sister Madison. There were trees. I'm not just talking about little saplings. I'm talking about trees that went to the ceiling in here right now. There's trees. I was stuck back in the forest back here. I've never married someone in a forest before, but I did yesterday. I told several people, I said, you know what this really makes me want to do? I want to preach on Zacchaeus on Sunday morning. I want to preach on the Garden of Eden. All we got to do is roll a rock out here and I'll come up out of the grave. We're in the garden right now. But what a beautiful building we have. But do you know it is possible to come into this beautiful place and not be in a place of refuge. Because we build the place of refuge. We build the place where God's spirit, we build a home for his spirit to dwell in. Oh, listen, I got good news for every person in this room, whether you've served God many years or just 15 minutes. You can build a place today that is a secret place in the midst of a storm. You can, in this place right now, sitting in this tabernacle, you can build a refuge. You can build a secret place that though the storm rages around us, we are safe and we are sheltered by the presence of God. He said, I'm going to have you construct this place. 
And it's going to be a sacred place. You see, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, its rituals are called in Scripture a shadow of good things to come. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. His law given to His people in that sacred place was a shadow of good things to come. And so we enter into the tabernacle of the Old Testament, into the outer court, and the first piece of furniture that we see is the altar of sacrifice. After the court of the Gentiles, when one was to walk into that tabernacle, that outer court, they were fixated upon a square altar of sacrifice. At each corner of this altar was a horn, and it was the first piece of furniture that a worshiper would encounter as he came through the door, the altar of sacrifice. It was constructed of wood that was covered with brass or copper. It was a perfect square. It was where the blood sacrifices of clean lambs and goats would be offered in the heat of fire unto God for atonement. It would cover and forgive for a period of time, pushing forward the sins of God's people. Since this brazen altar, this altar of sacrifice was first, it declares to us very emphatically in this first secret place that in order to go further, I must deal with sacrifice first. I have to. If I'm going to go forward with God, I've got to die first. I know that there's a buzz that's going around Christianity for the last 25 or 30 years. And it is this, come as you are. But sadly, too often, it is left there. Come as you are and stay as you are. And I haven't come to preach some sadistic message. I've just come to preach the word of the Lord. He has grace for us today. He has mercy for us today. But when I come into his presence, if I'm going to go further in his presence, I must first reckon with my uncleanness in light of his holiness. I have to come to that altar and lay myself on that altar and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I die to me today. See, if the courtyard had been set up, with no altar and no sacrifice, then it would convey to every person that one could come into God's presence without a sacrifice and without a mediator. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with that kind of sacrifice is? That living sacrifice wants to crawl down off the altar. But if you and I are going to maintain that secret place of strength, we first have to come into his presence and say, God, I'm not even worthy to be here today. God, if you gave me what I deserved, I'd be a little grease spot on this carpet here here. But it is nothing but your divine mercy and your divine grace that lets me be in this house. 
Oh, I got to preach it to somebody that served the Lord a long time. Honey, you don't deserve what God has given to you. I don't deserve what God has given to me. We don't get professional enough to deserve what God has given to me. But when I come into his presence, I have to reckon at the altar of sacrifice. If I'm going to find a refuge from the storm, I first have to die out at that altar and lay myself on that altar and say it's not about my agenda. It's not about my ideas. It's not about my goodness. It is your mercy that I need. We confess our sins. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say the altar of sacrifice. And so if you're here and you need a secret place, that's a good place to start. That's not just a good place to start. That's the mandatory place to start. Crying it out to God. I've tried it on my own, and it hasn't worked. I give it to you. I give it to you. Once in that outer court, past the altar of sacrifice, one would come to the laver of washing. It was a place of cleansing. The priest would stand after the altar of sacrifice before entering into the holy place in the sanctuary, and it was made of polished copper. Its purpose was to wash. You see, the priests had to daily wash their hands and their feet from dirt and contamination when they worshipped God at the altar or entered the sanctuary to serve. They could not go past the labor. It wasn't optional. Because the altar of sacrifice was to, something to, had to die. An animal had to die in the place of man's sin. But that's a bloody mess. That's a, that, that, that's a morbid task. And so in order for that priest to go any further, that priest had to go by the laver. You can't postpone the laver. You can't go around the laver. You can't say, I'll catch it on the other side or it's optional. It was absolutely necessary. Why? Because all of the filth had to be cleansed off of that priest. Because he had more business to attend to in that tabernacle. Listen to me. When we come to the Lord, we have to be honest about where we're at. You don't have to, we don't have to come to him and try to prove how good we are. If, if, if snot comes out of your nose and tears are flying, let it go. Sacrifice was not a pretty thing. Sacrifice was not a clean thing. It was a dirty process. It was a filthy process. But thank God after the sacrifice, there was cleansing for that dirt. There was cleansing for that sacrifice. This is why I rise in this pulpit and tell you when Benson went down in the waters of baptism, that was just not a nice thing that a little boy did at New Life on a Sunday morning. That was not just an add-on or a subsequent act of grace. It was for the cleansing. It was for the remission. It was for the washing of sin and filth. Where's Benson at? Benson, come here. Come on, come up here real quick. Jump up here. I need you to run here, man. I want you to act like your sisters are all after you right now. Just run up here. Come up here with Pastor. Come on, Benson. Benson, when you got up in that baptistry today, I don't know what you were thinking, but brother, you absolutely lit me up on fire. 
Because I got to thinking, Benson, about when I went down in the waters of baptism. I got to thinking about that Sunday night many, many years ago when my pastor put his hand upon me and said, because you have repented of your sins, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Woo! I'm going to tell you, that was 40 years ago, and it's still real today. It's still real on this Sunday morning. You can't bypass the place of washing. So I got to make sure I say it. I said it last Sunday morning. I was preaching in Nashville, Arkansas. How many of you have ever been to Nashville? That's just beyond nowhere. I was preaching in Nashville last Sunday morning. I felt it. I prompted, just walk with me, preach with me for a little bit, Benson. I, I felt prompted. I said, if anybody's here has not been water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you can be baptized today. And it was amazing what God did. Brother Longstreth was here with us a couple weeks ago and said he's put this into his sermons. Every sermon he talks about people being water baptized. If you've never been baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not to join this church. If you never come back to this church, but you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, let's do that today. Let's, that's the Bible way to be water baptized. Take Benson's lead. I said, who wants to be baptized? One little girl raised her hand and said, I'm ready to be baptized. Big old tall man raised his hand and said, I'm ready to be baptized. His wife raised her hand and said, I'm ready to be baptized. I am so thankful they had water in that baptistry. I am so thankful they had towels and robes ready to baptize people. And guess what? So do we. If you have laid your sin down, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Find that secret place of a washing. A labor, a cleansing. Now here's what's awesome, Benson. Because you were water baptized, because you repented of your sins, and you were washed, you can go further. You can step into everything that God has for you. Mom and dad, you may see a kindergartner right now, but I see a mighty man of God standing before us right now. Why? Because he went to the altar of sacrifice, and he went to the labor of washing, and it gave him access to everything God has for him in that secret place. Give him a great hand of appreciation. This second piece of furniture in this secret place for God's people tells us that God is not only interested in the forgiveness of our sin, but he is also interested in cleanliness, in living for him. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, we are washed by the water of the word. You see, as a believer today, I must cleanse myself every day with the washing of water by the word. Can you say amen? amen? That's why the psalmist said, Your word, O God, have I hidden in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. It's the altar of sacrifice. It's the laver of water. Now, it is 1144, in case you're wondering. I'll be done preaching within 10, 15 minutes, I think. Thank you. It's never God's intention for us to stay in the outer court. That's never God's intention. It's never God's intention for us just to kind of kick around in the shallows. Kind of stay on the peripheral. It's never God's intention for us to sit on the side of the pool and just dangle our feet in the water. Honey, jump in. <laughs> Remember when I was learning to swim, they told me, they said, the best way to learn to swim is to swim. You say, wow, that's revelation. You can sit on the side of the pool and read a textbook on swimming all day long. And you can debate swimming all day long. You can be as dry as dry can be sitting on a lawn chair and saying, I think if I do this and this, that will work. But nobody's going to come up to you and say, man, you're swimming good. It's not until you jump in and you try it out and you see that it works. Either it works or you're going down, honey. But it is never God's intention for us to stay in the outer court. Because it was God's plan for entrance to be made into what's called the holy place. See, our lives are meant to be more than just existence. We have to move past existence into a holy place. In the holy place, when one was to step into that very, very sacred area, to the left, you would see quickly the golden lampstand. It was on the south side of the holy place, and it stood made out of pure gold. The gold was shaped into an almond tree in full bloom, beating and hammering on it until it was shaped thusly. It had six fruitful branches with a central shaft or trunk. They were designed to hold seven bowls filled with olive oil, and it was to provide the light in the holy place. You see, it was in that holy place that light and life merged together in one place. The light was continual, and it was never to go out. In fact, it was the only source of light in the holy place. All of the various colors and the beauty of that inner sanctuary could only be seen because of this one source of light. John chapter 1 presents this one called Jesus as both light and life. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He alone, as God in the flesh, gives life eternal and the light to understand 
and to know God. Everything that we know about God, we see in Jesus Christ. He was the Word made flesh. God in flesh. And we today have the privilege of having the light of Christ deposited in us through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I want to tell it, I want to preach it boldly and strongly right now. There is no light like the Holy Spirit. There is no source of light that can illuminate our life like the indwelling Spirit of Jesus Christ. If I want to have a refuge, if I want to have a secret place with God, I must die out to myself. I must be clean every single day, but I must have the light of the Spirit of God. It illuminates everything about life. Everything changes when the Holy Spirit starts to work in our life. Is there anybody in here that you found it to be true that when the Holy Spirit came in your life, you started loving people you didn't used to love? Don't point. You started desiring things that you used to not desire. See, so much of the time we talk about, you know, the Holy Ghost, it'll make you quit doing stuff. But the Holy Ghost makes you want to do some stuff. Holy Ghost makes me want to be in the house of God. How many of you know you can tell an awful lot about people by how they sit in church? How many know I'm telling the truth right now? That same anointing's here right now. Don't worry, it didn't leave the building. You can sit in church and you can sit all slumped over. Be careful now, pastor's watching. Yeah. They should just be glad I'm here today. wonder if pastor saw me here today. You know, if they'd sing that song one more time, I might lift the other hand. But then there are people that come into the presence of God. Avery, let me use this chair right here. Can I use your chair for just a second? Can you unhook that? I don't know what we need to do here. Jump up, guys. We're going to deconstruct the church. We had trees and stuff in here yesterday. We can move a chair. Then there's other people. Sorry. They use the front of the chair. And they're not waiting for much of anything. Pastor Nate gets up and says, blueberries are on sale at Kroger. Preach! You know what that is? That's someone that says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's someone that's lit up with the power of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to prime the pump. You don't have to cheerlead for those kind of people. They were glad when they could come into the presence of God. Why? Because they got the Spirit of God. They have visited that golden lampstand and let the Spirit of the living Christ live and dwell and move through their life. I got to go on. I, I'll preach two weeks on this if I don't hurry. On the other side of the holy place was a place called the Table of Showbread. 
table of showbread. It had some loaves. And it was bread that was to stay there all week long. And then once a week, the priests were to consume it. You don't have to do a very long study. Avery, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you your chair back here as long as you sit on the front part of it. I know that's not a problem for you. You do a, do a look at Scripture and you'll find quickly that bread is very synonymous and symbolic with the Word of God, in the Word of God. If we're going to have a secret place, if we're going to have a shelter in the time of storm that we're in, we have to die out to ourselves. We have to be clean every single day. We have to have the spirit of the living Christ inside of us. But we must stay in his word. I have to hear what his word is saying. Here's what I want to do. I want to train myself, and this is what I'm trying to do, Brother Odo, and I'm trying to train this church family to do this when we come up against difficulties and we want to to deal with those things we have to be able to answer this question what is God saying to me because here's the thing brothers and sisters ladies and gentlemen friends guests that are here before I hear what anybody else says I've got to hear what God says what does his word Say to me. Am I being accountable to that word? I'm talking about a secret place. I'm talking about a place that can protect us in the tough times. Refreshed by his word. When you have aha moments with his word. You read something, Craig, and you go, wow. I never saw. Now, here's where I'm going to finish today, and then I'm going to pick up Wednesday night. Shameless plug for Wednesday night. So once one stopped by the table of showbread, if they did a left turn, they would come upon the last piece of furniture in the holy place, and it was the altar of incense. Now, this is the one that has always kind of wowed me because like I don't really do this very often now every once in a while I come in and my wife has got one of these help me diffusers and it's this white looking thing that she plugs in and like this little genie smoke comes up out of it (laughs) It's pretty good when you crack yourself up preaching. <laughs> I remember the first time she lit one of those in our house, and it just helps with the, the fragrance of the house. You know, it's a little stale, so you, you light that thing. Or I don't know if you light it, you plug it in. I walked in, I said, what kind of magic's going on in this house right now? What kind of hocus pocus is happening in the Gaddy household right now? I started laying hands and binding and rebuking. She just rolled her eyes and lit a candle, you know. <laughs> but there's something, there's something about that fragrance that changes the atmosphere. 
And I'm not trying to be all mystical. I promise I'm not. I know I'm being a little funny, but I'm not trying to be. There's something about that. There's something about that that makes me when I, and even the, the, the fuser thing, I walk in and I just go, rather than, man, I forgot to take the trash out. Because it's a fragrance, and it's a sweet-smelling fragrance. And see, God's intention for that priest, listen now, was not to stop at the outer court, but his intention was also never to stop at the inner court. Because God has intention for us far beyond where we are at right now. And so in God's providence, he said, I'm going to position one more piece of furniture that's going to give you access from where you are right now into where you need to be. Now listen, you're going to have to show up on Wednesday, but I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. You get into that most holy place, and there's miraculous provision. You get into that most holy place, and there's Aaron's rod that budded. You get into that most holy place, and you got manna left over from heaven, which is symbolic of the very provision of God. But in order to get to that place, you must, you must, you must stop by the altar of incense. And the priest would light it in the morning, and the priest would light it in the evening. And it was incense that was going up before the Lord. And this wasn't just some little contraption on your counter. I've read, read tales of this, that when that priest would light that altar of incense, it could be smelled all the way around the camp. For almost a mile in every direction, somebody knew that there was incense going up before God. And the Bible says that when that priest would burn that incense, it would come up to the Lord as a sweet-smelling savor. This is why the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 141, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. When one of us lifts up our hands in his presence, it is as though that priest walked to that altar of incense and began to burn that sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. The Lord said when somebody begins to worship, me, I will build my residence in that worship. I will build my house in that worship. There is something about a worship. There is something about the fragrance of worship to the Lord. I feel that burning in this house today. I wish we'd let that burn here for just a minute right now. Come on, just as you want right now, I wish you'd let that burn in this house right now. Come on, there might be somebody in this house, your burning of incense is really demonstrative. And there's others that your hand lifted to heaven is a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. He is building a house of habitation and a secret place, a refuge from the storm. Come on, let the high praises of the Lord be in our mouth right now. 
Let the high praises of the Lord be in our mouth right now. Oh, that someone would come by the altar of incense. The altar of incense. If you feel like it, I wish you'd just shut your eyes right now. Don't worry about anybody around you right now, but let there be a praise come up from your spirit and a worship come up from your heart right now. There is no one like you, Lord. I worship you with everything inside of me, Lord. I offer praise to you. I honor you with praise, oh God. Oh, yes, God, to you be all glory, to you be all praise, Lord. Ah. There's nobody like you, Lord. You are worthy today, worthy to receive my praise, God, worthy to receive my honor. Thank you for the secret place, Lord. 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 Woo! Hallelujah! Uh. Hallelujah! Praise God. Brother Chris, where's Brother Chris there? Come up here with Pastor. Can you come up here just for a second? Just a few days ago, I got to visit Brother Chris's sweet father. I saw him several times in the hospital. Got to see him shortly before he went from this life into eternity. If you want to just ask me, is it powerful when someone comes by the altar of incense? Just come talk to me about it. Charles Dare. Brother Chris, I never will forget. Come up here if you would. We're praying for you, my man. Man, I'm so glad we got a chance to be with your dad for a little while. I appreciate that. I knelt down over Brother Charles' bed, and I started praying for him. And I knew he was weak. He'd served the Lord for many, many years. He kept telling Chris and the family, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And I started transitioning my prayer. Because I was so conflicted, Brother Chris. I know we talked about this. Because on one hand, I don't want him to go. For me. On the other hand, I can't ignore when an elder who's serving the Lord wants to go. So I said, Lord, grant your mercy to Brother Charles Dare. Just let your mercy be on him. Let your mercy guide him. And here's the thing. Wednesday night, I'm going to preach on this. Do you know what's on the other side of that curtain in the most holy place? A box with a mercy seat on it. But in order to get to there, you can't bypass the place of worship. And I leaned over Brother Charles there and I began to pray for him. And I was trying to bless him. And in return, an elder with just a few days to live lifts up his hands and starts speaking in other tongues. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. So you know what the Lord did? The Lord let him stop by the altar of incense one more time. And 
then he let him access the mercy that people were praying over his life. You talk about a refuge, Brother Chris. I made up in my mind. I don't know when the Lord's going to take me, but I hope I go like that. Worshiping, praising God, magnifying the Lord. So let's do this. It's now 12.05. Let's finish this service by coming forward with worship. Everybody in the house, would you join me up here? Would you come with a praise in your heart right now? Would you come with a praise in your spirit right now? Can we worship God together as we come right now? Praise God. Praise God. As you're making your way down that aisle, why don't you bring a praise with you right now? Why don't you bring a visit to the altar of incense with you right now? Come on, there's going to be somebody fill this altar right now. You need to stop by the altar of sacrifice. You tried it. It hasn't worked. You need to ask God to forgive you. Die out to it right now. Come on, come on. That's it. That's it. It doesn't have to be pretty. You don't have to have all the right words. Why don't you just pour it out to the Lord right now? Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. Take a trip by that altar of sacrifice. It's going to be a refuge for you. It's going to be a secret place for you. It's going to be a dwelling place for you.